And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. You know, you may have heard that, like, journalists, reporters, we all have the story that we've written that never sees the light of the day because the game changed at the last second or something unfolded that was unexpected. And we're like, ah, you know, the world will never see it. Well, that's how it's like with this podcast today, because I'd already recorded an episode earlier today on on Wednesday. Uh, I'll have my I'll still have my interview with my guest, Jordan Reed from ESPN, breaking down the first round. But I was going through the final notes and nuggets about the commanders and whatnot. And literally, as I was producing it and editing it and all that, here comes news. Chase Young's fifth year option is being declined. Source confirms uh, confirmed to me. And that is news. Big news, even though we kind of knew it was going to happen, especially if you've been listening to this podcast. Nonetheless, here with me to discuss that, as well as some other NFL draft aspects, is our, he is, as we know, the official salary, well, the official salary cap insider for this podcast, even though, I, you know, he's not getting paid. Uh, he is a <laughs> Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, uh, who was kind enough to jump in here at the last second. Um, Brad, just give me a quick are you st- are you surprised to be seeing me today? Uh, I, well, the, the day maybe for sure. I have been listening to your podcast. You know, I disagree with you a little bit, so I'm excited to dive into it. But I, I did hear you kind of allude to the fact that you don't think this was going to be exercised. I think it's interesting for a handful of reasons. If he doesn't make that Pro Bowl, does it get exercised because of the lower value? You know, obviously the injury is a huge mechanism here, of course, as well. But, but you know, kind of a lot of different ways to rack my brain. So, yeah, I'm fairly surprised by it. Like I said, you and I kind of went back and forth a little bit. I thought they wanted to buy themselves the ability to not have to make a decision on one of Montez Sweat or Chase Young. Um, but at the same time, I think we probably talked a lot about on this show, you know, they can't pay all four guys. So it does kind of make sense as well. Yeah, so we'll dive into more of that and get Brad's view of Washington's um, salary cap situation going forward and and what do we think this could mean for the draft. Uh, we'll do all that in a moment here on the podcast. Of course, you could subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. Also, when I did the earlier podcast, I did a – or the earlier episode, I, I went through a bunch of my notes that are in today's article up on The Athletic, a final Commander's NFL Draft notebook – We'll talk a little bit about that, but you can go check out The Athletic and read it all there. And, uh, of course, I believe we have like a $1.99 a month deal right now, so go do that. Uh, of course, also make sure to follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing, and Brad is at PFF underscore Brad. You know, we get, without the blue checks these days, Brad, you know, uh, you, you got you to make sure people know exactly uh, who, who, they're, who they're following um, for sure. And like I said, we'll, we'll also talk a little bit about the quarterback buzz that's out there how the offensive line buzz could impact Washington's choice at 16. We'll get to all that in a few minutes. And then, as I said, I talked to ESPN's Jordan Reed as well. Well, let's get back to the news of the day. Um, Not surprised that they did this. The timing is, though, a little bit surprising, I will say, for a few reasons. One, last week, 
I asked Ron Rivera multiple times in the press conference, have you made a decision? When, when are you going to tell us something? He's like, we have until May 2nd, or he said, we, we, you know, on May 2nd or something like that. While that was, I mean, there's been a lot that's been telling throughout this last few weeks. That's one of those things, like what's there to wait on if you're going to keep, if you're going to pick it up, you know, why, why not just do it? But one thought I had was wait until after at least the first round and see how the draft unfolds. Because if they were interested in taking another defensive end, I know that's a, a view that for a lot of people from a roster building perspective, they find frustrating. But if you're moving on from either Chase Young or Montez Sweat after the year, you would need to replace someone. There could be better value at that position at 16 than other spots, et cetera. So I thought maybe you wait, but that they, but but that it's coming out today. They have not officially announced it yet, to be clear. And I know Brad wants to get into that, but it is happening. So it's interesting on that front that they're not even waiting for the draft to see what may happen. What, what does it say to you about the timing of this? That that they that it's coming out today, one day before the first round. Yeah, and so that got me into my conspiracy theory that you just you know kind of mentioned there. So I think it is interesting. Why not just wait and see how things play out? Uh, especially in particular, just if you maybe land a player you like in 16, but also, you know, see if other teams land a player and maybe see if that gets into trade conversations. And and the other trade piece for me was the language from Nikki Javala. I know you said he confirmed it as well, but the language was they're not going to exercise the option. Not that they have officially filed the paperwork and have declined it or anything of that nature. So my conspiracy theory was, hey, we're hinting to other teams. Hey, just so you know, we're not comfortable picking up the full 17 and a half million or whatever the exact number is um, on Chase Young's fifth year option for next year. So, you know, just so you know that if you're, if you miss out on a player uh, that you wanted to draft at edge rusher, maybe you give us a call and see if Chase Young is available to you, then we'll trade him to you and you can make that decision on the Monday after the draft. That, that was kind of how my, uh, you know, my, my gears were turning in my head as I, as I saw the, the language of the tweet uh, from Nikki Javala. Yeah. Um, no, it's a good it's a good thought. This and and so right, like if they decline the option, then a team that might be interested in saying, "Hey, what what would the cost to be get Chase Young?" They then do not have the option to pick up the option, and therefore they at least have a few more days if they choose to, to to make that kind of a move. So almost every time they do anything or we discuss what they may do, I always come back to this basic point, and that is if you're Ron Rivera. You're in the, you're, you are facing a probably a win or go home situation this season because hasn't had a winning season yet in three years. They've been basically 500 ish, but that's, you know, not ideal. And there's a new owner. And with the new owner, there may not be any saving the job. The owner may just say, Hey, I've got my own thoughts, et cetera. But you've got to, otherwise, if you're Rivera, you logically need to maximize everything you have this year. It is, as a side note, why the Sam Howell situation is odd but okay they have Jacoby Brissett at least etc so you know if they get draft picks for Chase Young if they're really high draft picks well that would be potentially enticing and still help you this year but if we're talking late day two day three like that you know something like that that doesn't seem like it's going to help you as enough and look Chase Young he'll have extra motivation now I guess like that's that's part of the theory as well so I don't know if I see them trading him um, and that's just in quickly making some, some, some texts around the league. I, that, that seems to be the view, but um, to your point by not having declined 
the option yet. It gives them that opportunity to say to other team, hey, you can have them for this year or next year if you want them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not surprised. That's kind of what you're hearing. And I do think it wouldn't really behoove them to get later picks. You know, the the theory also would be tied to do you use it to maybe trade up a little bit and, and land one of the quarterbacks that drops in the nine to twelve range or something like that. I think all of those teams would at least be open to trading down. Um, I mean, I know for a fact Chicago at nine and Philadelphia at ten would like to trade down ideally. Um, and there was a report in ESPN today that uh, from Jeremy Fowler that the Titans actually would rather go down than up. So yeah, again, I'm I'm really probably just grasping at straws here. I think it's more realistically kind of like the Deron Payne situation last year. You don't, you know, I mean, he obviously had option option picked up, but you don't extend him. He's extra motivated going into the year and maybe then has a, you know, breakout phenomenal performance in 2023. Right. And, you know, I, I do, you know, like I said, we'll see. I mean, there could be, you know, look, Chase Young, it's it's really, it. so, you know, essentially, you know, you don't cover a specific team, you cover the league as a whole. So for you, you're, you're looking at everything from the outside and trying to make sense of what to do of what could happen as somebody who's covering a specific team. It is always interesting because I'm not saying that I or my colleagues definitively know all the answers, but we have a different perspective than the people from the outside. And what's interesting is seeing not so much today. Now, apparently today, everybody's on board that this was the right thing to do. And it was always going to happen. I swear to you, Brad, this was not the case when I brought this up a month ago or started to talk about it, but okay, that aside, a lot of people on the outside will view Chase Young as, whoa, hold on, this guy is awesome, <laughs> right? This guy, the number two pick in the draft in 2020, former rookie of the year. Sure, his production was down the last couple of years, but he got hurt. I mean, what are you going to do? Which is a reasonable point on that front. Of course, it ignores he only had one and a half sacks in the eight-plus games in 2021 before the injury. Um, it ignores that he skipped basically all of the offseason workouts Um going into the 2021 season and that there have been questions at times about, you know, does he really kind of get what it takes on and off the field to be a, a potential star in this league? And so that a lot of people will take that view, but I think from Washington, Washington's in a very unique position. They have three other defensive linemen all picked in the first round, like Chase all have been significantly better than he has to date. Now Montez sweat hasn't been, not saying he's been some dynamic player. He, he, I think his career high is nine sacks, eight sacks, nine sacks. But he's been far more consistent. In the three of the f four years that he's been able to stay healthy, he's been a very productive player. Last year, he, I think he was like fourth in quarterback hits, um, all that stuff. So, And then John Allen and Deron Payne have already been paid. So, I, you know, Washington has a, a this odd circumstance. They can play a little more hardball here and say, look, worst case scenario for us, he leaves next year. They get a compensatory pick and people can say whatever they want about blowing the number two pick in the draft in 2020, but they still would have, assuming Sweat were to stay, which I would think that he would, they would still have three studs on the line. And ultimately moving forward, that's what would matter the most. So it is an unusual circumstance, but I ultimately do think it's the right call here. Yeah, no, I gotcha. And like you said, you still pay three, even with Sweat, hypothetically, you know, his money probably kicks in when Allen's is phasing out. So you really, you kind of can balance that. Four was where it got it got real tough. Yeah, no, a hundred percent for sure. Um, all right, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about this, and I did write a little bit about this on the athletic. But let's pivot to the draft here because again, the timing of this is so interesting that this is happening right now. Um, I brought up a, you know a few weeks ago 
not just this idea that Chase Young, that they could decline the option and, and what would this mean if because conceivably you could lose one or both of Chase Young and Montez Sweat if you let, you know, if, if you let them play out the year going into uh, free agency. But could, what could this mean for the draft? And I started writing and talking about, you know what? I know it seems super weird, but don't rule out them taking a defensive end or edge rusher in the first round. And I started to highlight Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Um, I'm not saying he's as high of a potential as Chase Young. I'm not saying he's a good of a player as Chase Young, but to a degree, he seems like almost the antithesis of Chase Young in that he's he's maybe he he, he lacks some of the natural ability of Chase, but he seems like a he's he's got a lot of that work hard aggression type deal and that's why he's been really you know i think dane brugler has him as his eighth prospect overall um he's got this nickname hercules you watch his tape it's just a guy just kind of flying around with um with bad with bad intentions um like i said i don't think he's viewed as like this he's i would say he's probably like a higher floor than like an amazing ceiling but we'll see either way he's interesting and he's not the only defensive end option you are doing mock drafts yourself. So when you're looking at this board now, what do you think about the possibility of taking defensive and throwing that into the discussion with offensive line and cornerback? Yeah, I think it's entirely fair. I, I will say, uh, and obviously, you know, it's all all complicated. And we never, you, you get more right than pretty much anybody else in the space. And you probably still bat, I don't know, 10 or 12 out of 32 is probably a good year for you. Yeah, I would be surprised if Lucas Van Ness is available at pick 16. I really would. Um, I know you're not you're just using him as an example, but you know I do think guys like a, like a Miles Murphy from Clemson, a Nolan Smith from Georgia, um, you know, those caliber of players, maybe also Lucas Van Ness, um, I think will be in that like early teens, uh, you know, two sixteen range. And yeah, it's not crazy because again, that way you're you know resetting the the rookie contract window. I guess if you had chased, then you'd have you know five players for next year. But of course, as we know, you know rookies don't always contribute a ton right out of the gate. A guy like Van Ness in particular, you can play him inside, you can play him outside, you can move him around a little bit. Um, I think, you know, so, so there's many different variables to it. And yeah, if the run on tackles happens, um, I kind of think it's the reverse. I think a run on edge rushers is going to happen. But yeah, if the run on tackles happen, you don't want to reach there and you just take, you know, best player available at a premium position still, um, you know, in an edge rusher. Yeah, and, and that's one of the fascinating things that, you know, with this draft where, you know, I know everybody thinks that we say this every year, and we probably do to a certain degree that, oh boy, who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. But usually in these drafts, the first four to five, six picks, like you kind of have a feeling like who at least the players will be, if not the exact order to an extent. But this year, there's no consensus. And not only that, there's not a lot of love out there. Like Will Anderson is typically viewed as the number one prospect in this class. I haven't heard anybody tell me that they're like, well, you have to get that guy. Like he's good. Like Alabama player will help, will help set the tone for a young team. That's trying to learn how to win. And he, you know, he can do things, but it's not the, the, the hype on him is not the same way it was say for when Chase Young was coming out, which, you know, again, if we're sitting here discussing an idea that Chase Young could be, is not getting his option picked up. Maybe that's, it doesn't say something it says something about that perception, but there was the injury as well and, and all that. So that's the thing with this class is like, it's hard to know what's going to happen. Um, and, and that's what makes it challenging for Washington. I do think at least, at least it's more obvious that they now have another option because my concern was if the top four offensive linemen are gone, I did this the other day um, 
for the athletic our, our we had a our all nfl writers did a mock draft i'm there at 16 and three picks in front of me went offensive linemen so the top four were all gone and i'm sitting there staring at this board um i, I think lucas van ness was still there but at that point i'm like well you know i trying to play a little more straight and not just assume chase young so i went cornerback and i didn't even like love some of those options and i went with emmanuel forbes from hearing that i think they have some interest in him but now with this thing it makes the, a defensive end if it's not van ness like you said maybe it's miles murphy from clemson who they brought in for a 30 visit um i don't know about nolan smith but yeah the, uh, the kid from georgia it's just a matter of how do they view his limited weight size playing that position um but and they don't you know maybe it's better for a 3-4 team than a 4-3 team but whatever that said I think it gives them at least a more one more overt option so if the linemen go and Van Ness is there then I think you could do that or like I said take Murphy so maybe it really doesn't change anything from their view but from our view I think it does give them a little more wiggle room yeah, no, I, I totally hear you there. Um, I, you know, I think obviously corner and tackle maybe are the priority, but I think they've shown, and it's certainly shown by taking four defensive linemen in a row. I guess they traded up for Montez Sweat, but nevertheless, like they're not going to, you know, they're going to take great players. They clearly like to build through the trenches, um, which again would apply to offensive line. But yeah, if not, that is kind of the beauty is, you know, I think Forbes will be a first rounder. But, I mean, yeah, there should be five, maybe six cornerbacks taken in the first round. And, and you know, you talk to different teams, they have different preferences. But, you know, I think the unanimous cons- is that, you know, consensus is that they all like this class a lot at cornerback. Yeah, um, a- absolutely. Um, let me, let's go to the some other draft buzz. As I said, you know, Brad's been working the phones, trying to figure out what's going on out there. And... I think from Washington's perspective, here are some things you want to see happen with the quarterbacks. You either want to see all, I'll put Hendon Hooker into sort of a separate category. You want to see the four guys that we've talked about this whole time, uh, Young, Stroud, Richardson, Levis. You want to see them either all gone so that other players get pushed back. Because I know some people may assume Washington could take a quarterback. I just don't, I still just don't see it. But if one of them were to fall, then that potentially would be some good trade bait. And I do think that, you know, if you want offensive line, linemen, especially interior guys and corners, you can go, you can drop a little bit, get extra stuff, and still do that deal. Um, I, I think that the top four quarterbacks will be gone by 16. If I had to bet on it right now, I think that's what I would bet, even though there's mass uncertainty with the order and who's going to take who. What's your view? Other than Bryce Young is going one, do you have anything you feel pretty confident about with the quarterbacks? Yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident in saying I think there's only going to be only one other quarterback taken in the top seven uh, or top eight, I guess, after Bryce Young. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think obviously four with Indianapolis is the inflection point. I've heard both Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. I do believe it is between those two players. Um, the guy that does not go at four and C.J. Stroud, I don't think are going to be top ten picks. So you know how far they fall, I'm not totally sure. I probably would agree with you. They'll go in the top 15 um, that might require trade-ups to, to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I'm most confident in saying that I think it's going to be Bryce Young at one, one of Levis or Richardson at four. Um, and, and I, and I don't think anyone trades with Arizona. I don't think Las Vegas, um, you know, maybe they do, but I'm not, I'm not super confident. Um, yeah. And then, and then it's kind of all bets are off. Right. So, and, and just to play that out a little bit because quarterback uh, draft talk is fun. The raging buzz 
is Will Levis to the Colts at four. And that will seem highly unusual considering the way he's been sort of negatively discussed over the last uh, month or so. And personally, the whole mayonnaise and coffee and eating the banana peel, he's off my board. That is some that is some yep. wacky food uh, <laughs> choices right there. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of buy it to a degree. I kind of think that Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, is over what's gone on the last couple of years. We obviously all saw the Carson Wentz vitriol, and last year didn't get any better. Um, it got worse, actually. And I don't think he's in the mood for a rebuild, which makes me question the Anthony Richardson thing. And, and I, you know, obviously Chris Bauer, the highly respected GM, but I just kind of feel that Ursay might put his thumb on the scale. And this may be a crazy notion, but when I think of Will Levis to a degree with a big arm, I kind of think of Jeff George. And while Jeff George was ultimately a bit of a flop as an NFL quarterback, he's his uh, talents were, in, were, were tantalizing. And the Colts were, of course, a team that he, uh, you know, did play for. So I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of thinking it might be Levis. And then you're right. The question is, what happens to the other guys? I look at Tennessee at 11 and then the Texans with their second pick at 12. I, you know, I, I, it seems to me that one of those two teams could trade up. Atlanta is a team I think that could trade down, give them a chance to take Bijan Robinson a little bit later and get some value picks out of it. So I think you can see one of those two teams maybe making a swap with Atlanta. Maybe nothing crazy, but enough to get up there. And Houston has a bunch of picks. This would be a good way for them to manipulate the board. And Tennessee, you know, same thing. I, I get it if they don't take quarterback, but at the same point, they clearly need one long term. So that would be my guess, but it's pretty thin margin because if those two teams don't do it, then I don't know where who else is taking a quarterback high in the draft. No, I totally agree. Like you start to then try to look for a team that makes sense. I think the next one that you could just make even some sort of argument for would be the New England Patriots. If you know the Mac Jones rift and all that is real, but you know, are they going to the Packers? That? No, I'm just kidding. Say it again. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be that would be great. The Packers taking a new quarterback or taking a receiver for the first time ever in the first round would be would be too good to be true. Um, but no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I mean, I'm curious, you know, you saying that you don't see Washington do it because I think one of the quarterbacks will be on the board at 16, like not even requiring a trade up that they could take one. They don't know who. Um, and so, you know, Washington passing will be interesting or potentially passing will be interesting. But then after them, it's like maybe Tampa Bay at 19. And then I think Minnesota at 23, um, or I guess Seattle at 20, if they don't do it the first time around, but they say, well, we're sitting here at 20 now and there's still a guy available um, but you're right. It does get hard to kind of pick teams that could do it once you get once you get past Houston's 12th. And then there's the Hendon Hooker part of this, where it's taken me a long time to believe that he's going to be a first round pick, and I'm still not there personally, just because of the knee and the and the age. But it does feel like there is momentum with that, and some people, some national writers, have pegged him going as high as like 12 or 11 or somewhere in that range. So that would be even another quarterback to to put in there. So I, I would sort of guess that all five go in the first round, but I don't know that um, I, yeah, the, the order is going to be a little bit confusing and trades may be required to get four of those guys ahead of Washington. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, like I said, if one of them falls, I think Washington could use that as trade bait, perhaps Seattle at 20, maybe they want to move up at, if they skip quarterback at five. Um, for the there's there now mentioned offensive line so let's go back to that I still think that's the number one need for this team 
question will be, is anybody going to be there at 16 if they want to use a first-round pick? Typically, the mock draft world has had the first offensive lineman going off the board to the Bears at nine, and then go from there with at least one of them typically being available for Washington, Darnell Wright from Tennessee off in that name. But if you look at the board from nine to 15, I think other than Houston, every one of those teams could justifiably take a first round offensive lineman. So that's a problem automatically. But then secondly, if this recent buzz about Paris Johnson, the Ohio state tackle, about him possibly going as high as three to Arizona or be, be Arizona's pick. Should they trade down from three? The earlier that often, the, the earlier the offensive line, lineman run starts, the less likely it becomes that Washington gets one would be my, would be my view. So where are you at with Paris Johnson and, and uh, just the line in general about where they, uh, where they might fall? No, I totally agree. It's that if, if he's the, the pick at three, it might change the entire calculus for other teams. Um, if he's not, I do think it'll be a bit of a wait. I think the first team, you know, maybe Detroit, but I think Las Vegas probably most likely to take a, an offensive lineman. Um, if it's not Arizona at three, obviously they could be the team that Arizona trades with, you know, uh, hypothetically, uh, and then Arizona picks at seven. But yeah, I, I mean, I think Chicago at nine, Philadelphia, like you said, Philadelphia at 10, Tennessee at 11, um, and then, you know, the Patriots at 14 and the Jets at 15. I would be surprised if, you know, tackle is not one of the highest positions on their board um, from a need standpoint. So, yeah, I guess I'll buy the Arizona thing. I think for a couple of reasons, like there have been rumblings like Jonathan Gannon thinks, you know, I can coach up the defense and we can use later picks and and I can kind of use my scheme to help the defense out. Let's get Kyler a good pass protector. I think it's not insignificant that, you know, even Mike Garofalo putting out that Kyler Murray is a huge fan of Paris Johnson's. And, you know, like I think when a team lets something like that get out, like it's kind of like, hey, we're going to make this pick, and if it goes poorly, we can blame Kyler down the road. Um, but it's just kind of an interesting you know, way to, for that information to get out. Chicago, it's the most probably the most popular mock in the world with Peter Skaronsky. I don't see it. I do not think they're going to take a player that I think they view as, as, as purely a guard. Um, they're, they're obsessed with length, and, and he obviously does not have much length. I get the local connection. I get that his tape is the cleanest. I get all those things. Um, but... Yeah, you know, it, it, it starts to get very interesting because, uh, you know, could Pittsburgh try to trade ahead of Washington to get a tackle, I think, is a realistic possibility. Kind of just rambling now. But, but yeah, it all comes down to Paris Johnson. Like, there's going to be a run on tackles, and does it start in the top 10 or does it start, like, at, at 7 or 9 is kind of the question. Yeah, I, I mean, I I never try to pretend that I have, like, some great take about the tape or the player or what they should do. But as a fundamental aspect of how to build a team – Edge rusher is very important. So is offensive tackle. I would just view it as I've got Kyler Murray. He's coming off an injury. I don't know when, I don't know when he'll be back. The offensive tackle helps to maximize that investment. And I think when for the Cardinals, this is going to be a nothing year, right? They're going nowhere. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Will Anderson or or Tyree Wilson, if that would be the guy, would be a bad player to add. But I just think if you're really just if, if you don't really think these guys are that much of a difference maker, I probably would take the tackle, the left tackle and help Kyler Murray. But again, um, you know, we'll have to see what happens and what they're bored. And they, they're a team that wants to trade down themselves. I just don't know that there's anybody who wants to move into the top three, unless there is a team that says, Hey, we want to get ahead of whatever we think the Colts are going to do. 
um, picking a quarterback. Um, before I let you go, any other draft uh, nugget you want to or, or take you want to drop on the world? Something uh, you know you want everybody to know? Brad said this before uh, the big day happens. I think I give the main one about the, the quarterbacks. Um, yeah, you know I don't know. It's interesting. I, I well, guess. Let me, let me ask you this: um, Emmanuel Forbes is a name that I've talked about for Washington at sixteen. I've heard that there's some interest there. He was a guy that I had going for them. What do you think? Uh, you know, when you're looking at if we assume that the that Witherspoon and Gonzalez are gone, and you've got Forbes, you got Joey Porter Jr. there, you got Deontay Banks, you got Brian Branch, the safety corner. Any of those guys for you stand out more than the other, or or what's your just general view of, of uh, Forbes? For me, Deontay Banks does. He'd be my third corner. Um, you know, obviously a bit, bit heavier. Uh, the weight is always going to get brought up with Emmanuel Forbes. Um, and I think he's just a better right now press man corner, more physical of the line, can bump receivers off their routes. Um, but I'll tell you, you talk to different teams. I've had probably half the people I've spoken with think Forbes will be a, like an early second. The other half think he will definitely be a first round pick. Um, and that varies, frankly, team to team. But I think the one consensus I get is incredible ball production, and they think his frame can carry more weight. Um, you know, that 166 pounds that he weighed in at, but then at his pro day, he was like 172. So, um, anyways, I think he will be a first round pick for sure. Um, I'm super high on the player. Joey Porter is interesting. You know, I think he's not the, not a special athlete, but a good player. I wouldn't be upset by that pick. And then, yeah, I think Branch also goes a little bit later, but but I think he will be a first round pick as well. So yeah, that was a. I mean, speaking of like takes, that was a bet we had a while ago. Was over five and a half uh, defensive backs. It was about even money. You can't, probably can't even bet it anymore. But I think there will be at least six defensive backs taken in the first round. Um, I just realized a different question for you before I let you go. According to, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe if you look at the uh, salary cap chart that you guys have on uh on uh pff or sorry over on over on over the cap you maybe have on pff too you, you have so many things going on <laughs> that washington basically if you factor in the draft picks is underwater or pretty close to the line when it comes to where they're at right now so they're going to have to do something this chase young move doesn't change that the, his salary is already on the books so they could do a few things they can extend some players they could potentially cut some players I don't know how much you've thought about this because I'm somewhat springing this on you, obviously, but is there anything that, that stands out to you um, about what would be the move for you to make? Yeah, the biggest one for me is maybe based on how the first two days go, does Chase Rulier become a cut candidate uh, if they get an interior offensive lineman? Um, and then the second thing for me is but just going to restructure some players. You can clear the cap. You're seventh in cap space in 2024. Like there's plenty of, of long-term flexibility. Um, You know, maybe I buy it that they want to wait till the new owner gets in before doing a bunch of financial maneuvering. Obviously they already did pay, um, you know, Jonathan Allen, but, but yeah, they, they can clear it. No problem. I mean, the only person that sticks out to me as a cut now, uh, you know, would be really it. All right. Uh, so you can see he's look, he's got, he's got brains. He's got beauty. He's Brad Spielberger <laughs> from, uh, pro football focus and does some work for over the cap at pff underscore brad go check him out and uh brad enjoy the draft uh excited to see uh what unfolds and i thank you so much for jumping on here at the uh literal uh last second i appreciate you having me yeah we got to react to the other uh, breaking news whenever we can <laughs> yep all right uh great stuff there with brad gonna pivot now to my conversation with espn's jordan reed uh we spoke the end of last week. So we talked broadly about the draft. Obviously we didn't address chase young there, but uh, whatever we discussed about possible edge rushers would definitely still apply uh, here, but a good broad conversation about 
the upcoming draft and what some of Washington's options are with ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed. All right. So I wanted to go through the draft with you. I typically am focusing on just obviously what Washington will do at 16, but well, and we'll get there, but I, I wanted to pick your brain because you're talking to people and you've got a, your own thoughts about what else is going to happen in the draft. Uh, I've got some over under true false fill in the blank and just other randomness for you. Are you, are, are you prepared for this mission? Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> right, let's just start at the top. Maybe this is just obvious at this point, but I don't know. Cause you know, like we said before, it's lying season. Um, are you betting your house that Bryce young is going to be the first pick at this point? Yeah, I think he's going to be the first overall pick. And as soon as he canceled the rest of his pre-draft visits, that kind of led me to believe that he's going to be the number one overall pick. And I know he's going to say logistically things didn't make sense for him to continue on. But if you're the Panthers, you don't want him to go on to a visit and then he ends up getting hurt. So and Scott Fitter, he's going to deny, deny, deny and say that he hasn't told Bryce Young that he's going to be the number one overall pick. But all signs point to him being the number one overall pick. And I simply point to him canceling the rest of his pre-draft visits, kind of reading the breadcrumbs leading to that. So there was the, so obviously Bryce Young was the favorite to be number one when kind of all got into this draft process. Then around the combine, everybody started talking about how CJ Stroud had a great combine. Shortly thereafter, Carolina trades everything to move up to number one. And then the narrative is, oh, okay, this is a CJ Stroud deal. Frank Reich, his history, he drafts bigger quarterbacks. Clearly, he's not going to draft five foot ten Bryce Young. And now, quietly over the last three weeks, it's like, eh, I don't know about that. He's going to go back to Bryce Young. What? What was that? Just one of those deals where it was? You think it was like always the case? It was always Bryce Young when they made the deal, or did something change with with CJ Stroud that maybe had them uh, go back to Young? I think it was just a huge assumption by a lot of people just looking at Frank Reich's history with working at quarterbacks. And a lot of people didn't think about the actual GM who's going to be making the decision. And Scott Fitterer, he's the one that drafted Russell Wilson in 2012. So he doesn't have any problems with taking undersized quarterbacks. And I think this could be a similar case of where he sees prime Russell Wilson and Bryce Young. And they have a lot of similar characteristics as far as their build and the way they play the game. Yeah, I mean, there's always that interesting line between you want to get your head coach pieces that make sense for his what his system is, where his comfort level is. But if you're the GM and you are above the coach in the hierarchy, you also got to make your own decisions as far as who you think is the better player. So, right, sometimes we get caught up in these narratives of some sort, you know, because we need something to discuss. And it does seem like that's one that was a good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Fitterer was the one that drafted Russell Wilson in 2012. So that leads me to believe that if he selects Bryce Young, he would have plenty of comfort with doing that just because he's seen this play out already with a smaller quarterback. Where are you at on Bryce Young? Like, I know we'll see and, you know, so many variables go into this, but the number one pick, 5'10 guy, teams clearly aren't away, shying away from smaller quarterbacks these days, but nonetheless, it's something, and he obviously had a, a magical college career. Where are you at with him as a as a prospect relative to some of the other you know big quarterbacks that have come out? Well, big in in um, not in size necessarily, big, big yeah. in uh, hype and potential. I mean, he's been my QB one since the summer, so I'm plenty comfortable with Bryce Young on the next level. He's somebody that's been one of my favorite prospects throughout the pre draft process, and he's only did everything to help himself. 
throughout the pre-draft process too. And even last season, Alabama didn't have the talent that we're accustomed to seeing from them last year. And if you think about it, Alabama has had a litany of first-round wide receivers, and they just haven't had that this past season. A lot of people can't even name a wide receiver that they have on the roster right now just because Bryce Young was thrown to a guy, a lot of guys that um, that weren't as equal in talent as some of the players that we have seen coming out of there in years past. And his leading receiver last year was Jameer Gibbs, who's a running back. So that just goes to show you the talent that he was working with. So he's shown that he can uplift the supporting cast, even if it is subpar. And I think the Panthers still need some help at wide receiver. Adam Thielen, DJ Chark are going to help. And they're hoping Terrace Marshall can make that next jump. But I still think they need some help out wide. And they still have the 39th overall pick to where they can do that. The offensive line is really intriguing. Some of the pieces that they have added, uh, Taylor Moten, Ikem Okwanu are two franchise building blocks, in my opinion. So they have a really intriguing offense, but it's still missing some pieces with the biggest being that quarterback. All right, let's skip to number two. True or true or false, the Houston Texans will not take a quarterback at number two. So if it were me, I would say false, but based on what's coming out of there right now, I would say true. I don't agree with it if it does end up being true just because they just have to take a quarterback. There's no way they can trot Case Keenum and Davis Mills out there again. How do you sell that to your fan base and the players in that locker room skipping on a quarterback. And I love Will Anderson, but nothing matters in a rebuild. If until you get that quarterback, right, I should say nothing is solidified in the rebuild until you get that position squared away. And you can say, Hey, we could be in the running for Caleb Williams and Drake may a year from now, but you just can't speak that as far as the absolute, just because you don't know, let's say you end up with the third overall pick and the two teams ahead of you need a quarterback they're very likely not going to trade out of those spots. So take advantage of being in the position to take Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud and just get the position solidified. I mean, Lovey Smith could somehow coach the team again at the end of next year, and they uh, could win a game they shouldn't, and they could lose at <laughs> one of those picks anyway. You never know. Um, right. So who, well, what would you do it to? Are there one of those quarterbacks that you would uh, that you would pick, uh, that definitely pick for Houston if, if you were to advise them? Yeah, I would take whoever doesn't go at one, I would take the other, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I would feel comfortable with either one of those guys. I think both of them have a lot of upside. I think Young has more upside just because of the mobility factor and the way he's able to win inside and outside of structure. But Stroud is the most polished of this group. And, excuse me, I think if he reaches his absolute ceiling as far as how good he can be, I think he's a Joe Burrow type of player. Um, And that's just saying that if he reaches his absolute max potential and he's a player that had great surroundings during this time at Ohio state, two first round tackles throwing to plenty of weapons, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the list, list goes on and on. So the Texans are going to have to get better out wide, but their offensive front, their offensive line does need some work. I think they need to add a couple more pieces there, but just getting the quarterback position solidified. I think that's the route that they need to go. All right, let me ask you this. I I think we all kind of think that the the Cardinals may trade out of three, perhaps for a team that wants a quarterback, but we'll just leave that aside for now and just look use the board as it is. CJ Stroud's over under three and a half in the in the in the draft. Uh, you know, basically meaning does he get past the Colts? Or you know what I mean? Well, well I, I will. I will well, I'll say under. wait, wait, three and a half? No, four and a half. Yeah, I guess four and a yeah, half. I yeah, I will go under. I would be shocked if he made it past the Colts. Maybe it's something that we don't know on the media side, but I mean, we've seen this happen before. We saw it happen with Justin Fields a few years ago when everything was coming out about him a couple of weeks leading up to the draft. So 
Maybe there's something that NFL teams know that we don't know, but based off all of the information that we have on CJ Stroud, the film, the character, and everything like that that we have presently or currently, I mean, I would be shocked if it's not under and if he makes it past the Colts at four. Okay. Um, Let me ask you about the Lions at six. I think it's a really interesting pick because they could go in so many directions of where it doesn't feel at least positionally like they would be making a mistake. Obviously, you're going to be like some prospects better than others, but they could take if Anthony Richardson is still there. seems like a really good spot for him to 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 develop behind Jared Goff uh, there. Jalen Carter, they, you know, they need defensive line. If he's still available, obviously there's, you know, some maybe off the field concerns, but pure talent, he might be the best guy in, in the draft. They could go cornerback. It feels like Devin Witherspoon from Illinois is often mentioned there. If Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson falls, they could go edge. And I guess maybe it's a little early for offensive line, but you could justify perhaps them doing that as well. All those picks, I say you got to fill in the blank. The Lions, give if everybody there is available, the Lions at six will take. Uh, I would go with Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia, just because even though he has the off-the-field concerns, which he seems to have squared away right now, there's a decision that's been made in this court case. So they got all of that cleaned up in time uh, for the draft, which is good for him. And he's visited every team in the back half of the top 10 of the draft. He's visited the Lions, um, the Seahawks, uh, the Falcons. He's visited the Raiders. And then he's also visited the Eagles as well. So he's visited every single team in the back end of the back half of the top 10. And that's exactly what he said he was going to do. He's not visiting any teams outside of that. But the Lions make a lot of sense as far as what they need. Pairing him with Aiden Hutchinson, James Houston, who was a really good find for them, and alongside Aline McNeil along the interior now you're talking about adding a key centerpiece along the defensive line, and that was one of the their weakest points last year. They need some help in the front seven. I think Jalen Carter, arguably the best player in this draft, he's just too talented to pass up at number six. Yeah, I like him. I think I, I you know, depending on what happens, obviously with like say San Francisco's quarterback situation and a couple other things, I feel like the Lions might be like the third best team in the NFC depending on what they can do in the draft, because it's other than the Eagles, I don't even know to like point to and say, wow, that team is definitely good. San Francisco. Yes. But I guess we, like I said, need to see how the quarterback thing plays out. Sorry. I'm kind of intrigued by the lions. Plus they have the 18th pick to boot. Yeah. They're a really intriguing team, especially with how well they ended the year last year. They started off, I think like one and six or something like that. And they finished really strong down the backstretch, that big win in Lambeau field to keep the Packers out of the playoffs for them. So they're that team that's really riding high right now, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with two first-round picks. I mean, defensive line is definitely an area that they need to address in the corner, too. So it'll be interesting to see what they do at 6 and 18. All right, let's jump up to number 10, go to another to an NFC East team in the Eagles. Eagles also have the 30th pick. Look, I, I, I totally understand that Howie Roseman is probably not going to take B. John Robinson at 10, not not so much necessarily him, just the concept of taking running back at 10. But I, I'm so intrigued by the idea. Forget whether the, they sign with you a second contract. What about the next five years where you have this window right now? I mean, maybe this window goes for 15 years with Jalen Hurts. But right now you've got this team that looks pretty good. a three to five year window. B. John Robinson would be really, really fun there. It feels like and could take them even to another level. So you are general manager Jordan Reed of the Eagles. B. John Robinson sitting there, you can you can imagine what the board might look like. Are you taking B. John at ten, or are you saying nah, I can't do it? 
Uh, I can do it just because I'm just a proponent of not drafting running backs in the first round, but it's a debate definitely to have just because he's a top three player in this draft class, in my opinion. And the draft is an educated guess, and he's one of those guesses that you feel really good about just because of the talent. But with how devalued the position is, I just don't see a situation of where they would take Bijan. But just imagine adding him to that offense with that offensive line, Jalen Hurts, those two guys on the outside, and uh, A.J. Brown, and then also Devontae Smith. It's going to be really hard to defend that. So I could see them being really intrigued by the idea. But I just think they need to add some more in some other areas. That's a little bit more important long term. But if you're just looking from a short term view, I could see why they would add Bijan. But you also have to have short term and long term viewpoints when you're drafting these players. Um. All right. Let me go to some offensive linemen. Typically, the bo- the boards or the mock drafts have Peter Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones as the first three linemen. Darnell Wright, though, from the offensive tackle from Tennessee been getting feels like he's gaining momentum uh some i've seen some projections say he he is even ahead of one or two of those guys i know mel kiper had him going ninth in his last mock draft over under for darnell Wright draft position 15 and a half i picked that because of course washington's at 16 and i think he's interesting for them 15 and a half darnell Wright his draft slot what do you think that's a great question um that's actually right in range for him I would go I would go over um just because of the depth at offensive tackle, but it's really hard just because you don't know the order that these teams are gonna have him in. And there's gonna be thirty-two different orders for every team. But I think he could be picked as high as nine to the Bears, but also he could fall as low as nineteen to the Bucks. But I think that's his floor as far as how far he would fall, and then his ceiling would be nine to Chicago. So he's right in that range, but I think some other teams could feel more comfortable with the three of Skaronsky, Paris Johnson Jr., and then also Broderick Jones. But me personally, I would be fine with taking him as high as nine. I think he's a very good player, and he fits a huge need for the Bears at right tackle. You don't have to worry about flip-flopping Braxton Jones from left tackle to right tackle with Darnell Wright. You can just slide him in at that right tackle spot. So, And there's plenty of other teams prior to 15 that need help at tackle, whether it's Tennessee. They still need help along the offensive front. Uh, New England, and then also the Jets, who have 13 and 14. So it's right in that range of where he could go. So that's that's a tough one to project, but I would go over. All right. Uh, true or false, Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks will get selected before Penn State cornerback Joey Porter Jr.? I would go false just because there's teams that really like Joey Porter Jr. He's younger, he's longer, and then, of course, he has the NFL pedigree too, so he's always going to have that in his corner. I like Banks more than Porter, but that's just my draft board, and I'm sure if you poll every single team, it's probably going to be a mixture of both. I think they're both players. They're in a similar cluster, probably that second tier, that second cluster behind Witherspoon and Gonzalez. Those are probably your next two in the bunch of the cornerback class. So for me, um, I will select Banks above Porter, but for teams, the two that they're most intrigued, or the three, I should say, that they're most intrigued by are Weatherspoon, Gonzalez, and then also Joey Porter Jr. All right. Uh, Staying in the secondary, Brian Branch, I don't know if you call him the safety. I don't know if you call him the safety cornerback. I don't know if you call him a slot corner, but he can seemingly do all these things. Uh, But his draft stack stock seems to be kind of all over the place um over under draft slot for him 24 and a half 
What do you think? Um, I will go over just because there's a lot of teams that don't value taking safeties super high anymore. And the only time they take those safeties really high is if they're unique. And we saw guys like Kyle Hamilton. I think he went 13th or 14th overall. He was a really unique player. But outside of that, uh, Lewis Seen, I know he went 32nd overall to the Vikings last year. There's a mixture as far as how teams value safeties. There's some teams that don't believe in taking safeties high. So I would go over simply because there's some questions about if he can play outside of nickel, that nickel safety role. Um, him running four, five, eight and didn't help him a whole bunch. I mean, the time is fine with me, but some teams you want to see that a little bit lower. Um, you want to see him more in the the low four fives, the high four four range. But with Branch, I mean, Jacksonville at twenty four makes a lot of sense. Um, and then after that, you're getting into teams like Pittsburgh with that second, uh, that early second round pick, thirty two overall. Um, and then the Eagles at 30. I think the Eagles at 30 make a lot of sense for them too, but they've never selected a safety in team history in the first round. So uh, I don't think they'll be taking a safety. So it just depends on where you value him at and then the projection as far as the position you want him playing out on the next level. So I would go over. All right. There's some definitely positive momentum, it feels like, for Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker, despite uh, coming off an ACL tear. He's an older guy uh, for a prospect. Over or under for him, 31 and a half. So basically, you think he's going to get picked in the first round or not? I will go under. Um, there's teams really intrigued by Hendon Hooker. And if you don't factor into the injury into the equation, he was right in the mix as far as being the second or third quarterback taken in this draft class. Phenomenal year prior to the injury. Looked really good. He's calm. He's polished. Has the background that you love. Dad was a former successful college quarterback. So He's a he's a quarterback through and through, A-plus character, has that Jalen Hurts quiet confidence type of feel to his game. But there's a lot of variables that you have to factor in. The injury, the offense that he plays in, can he play or operate outside of that offense? And, you know, the age, being a 25-year-old rookie, that's going to be alarming for some teams. So I will go under just because there's going to be some teams that feel as if the fifth-year option is really important. So Excuse me, a team like Seattle could trade back into the first round. There could be some other teams that trade back into the first round to get them to. Uh, last question. Let's just go straight to it. The one everybody wants to know. The Washington Commanders, assuming the board plays out kind of the way we think, the Washington Commanders at 16 will take blank. And who do you think would be the best player for them, independent of how the draft might actually go? I think they need – it has to be offensive tackle or corner, in my honest opinion. I know there's rumors about B. John Robinson and some other players, but I just think they're fine. They're running back right now. Brian Robinson has shown that he can shoulder the load. Antonio Gibson is a really good spot starter for them as a 1B in the backfield. So um, I would go with Darno Wright, offensive tackle, Tennessee. Um, Charles Leno isn't the future at left tackle. I think they need a young piece there. You already brought over Andrew Wiley. The interior, they still have a lot of questions there. But the great thing about Darno Wright is that if you want to keep Charles Leno at left tackle – he can start at guard for you, and then you can transition him outside if you don't want or if Leno is not in your future plan. So the thing with Wright is that every elite competition that he's played against, whether it's Will Anderson, B.J. Ojolari, Brian Brissy, he's limited all of those guys. He has experience and the flexibility to play inside or outside, which is two areas that the commanders need help at. So I think with Wright, he checks a lot of boxes that they look for, and he's a player that can get on the field right away, which is what they need. You mentioned Leno. He's left tackle. Is right? Can he eventually play left tackle, or is he? Do you think stuck to the right side? 
So he's played guard. He's played left tackle prior to last season. And then this past year, he played right tackle. So he's had experience at three different spots. Uh, Jordan, once again, a fountain of information. Uh, obviously, everybody's been paying attention to what he's been doing on ESPN. But just tell everybody what you got going on here the last few days. And uh, in this world of Twitter, what's your actual Twitter handle? Because I can't just say, go look him up. There's no checks anymore. So tell everybody what your, what your Twitter handle is also. Yeah, so it's at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore Reed, R-E-I-D. Find me there on Twitter. Uh, alongside my colleagues, Mel Kuyper Jr., Ty McShay, Matt Miller, we have different things coming out every single day. We just released a scouting notebook, just sharing some things that we have heard from league sources, scouts and evaluators, some things that they are telling us, and plenty of other information is loaded inside of that too. Mock drafts, Matt Miller's releasing his seven-round mock draft in the coming days, so be on the lookout for that. And then I just released my positional rankings and then also my final big board, which includes 380 players. So go check that out all on ESPN. 380 players, that's nuts. All right, uh, good stuff, Jordan. Always appreciate the time, man. Good luck this week. Have fun, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks as always, Ben. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.